Good morning to one half of the greatest group of people in Michigan and all of their visitors. <laughs> Since I know we have a number here for the holidays today. This morning we're going to spend our time in three passages, two in the New Testament and one in the Old Testament. So you can turn to that passage that was read a moment ago from Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 28 will be our concentration this morning. You know, I think one of the greatest, both moments of joy and satisfaction mixed with moments of sheer frustration and the overwhelming sense of a responsibility that can never be fulfilled is all wrapped into what it means to be a parent. Those of us who have raised children or are in the midst of raising children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a circumstance where we absolutely go through our lives and spend every single day while they're at home, under our care, concerned about their present and their future. And you look back and you have so many times filled with joy and other times, even though you love them with all your heart, you would really like to choke them. I mean, not, not to the end conclusion of choking them, just choke them a little bit to give them, you know, kind of a little message of what you're wanting to accomplish, right? And I was reflecting as we're thinking today, as the world is thinking today and all this week about Jesus and the nativity scene that you'll see on every other corner, even though, you know, that is not quite the, the I guess you might say, simplified and sterilized scene in Scripture that we see in our culture I mean, a manger means a feeding trough. I mean, Jesus came to this earth and he was born into incredible poverty and born into a family that was, I guess, lacking in regard to society even at that time. But yet, as we concentrate our minds, as the world is thinking about all the things that they contemplate this holiday season, I started thinking a little this week, not just about Jesus, but about what it would have meant to be his parent. You know, parenthood is more than just the things you do and the things you don't do and the things you allow and the things you don't allow. It really is wrapped up emotionally with a lot of feelings in regard to you want your children. I wanted my children to be better than I am. And I think I've accomplished that in many ways. I wanted them to be better than I am. But that couldn't have really been the case in the same way with Mary and Joseph, could it? Because it was, there was no question about it. There was no sense of them saying, well, if I mess up, I mean, what's going to happen? Is, is he going to amount to anything? Is he going to be a bum? Is he going to live in our, in our stable for the rest of his life? I mean, there was no concern about that, was there? It's a totally different environment to raise a kid than anybody else in the history of the world has ever had. And I can't even fathom what it must have been like to train and discipline your own creator. Now, the Bible says 
in so many words that Jesus was disciplined by his mom and dad. Because it tells us in the book of Hebrews that he had to learn obedience. Well, let me tell you, I have learned obedience in my life. And I have taught obedience in my life. And there is only one way whereby anybody in the history of the world has ever learned obedience. By disobedience. I mean, right? And so your parents trained you. And that's not a surprise to us at all because as Jesus was a little child, he is both God and man, and the Bible tells us he was tempted in every point just as we are tempted in the book of, in the book of Hebrews as well. And so if he's tempted in every way, he had to learn before he reached that. See, the difference is, is we've all went through the same thing our parents had to teach us, train us in discipline. And then we reached an age of accountability and we knew right from wrong and we had to choose between right and wrong. And all of us at some point or another chose the wrong. The only difference is the same process took place in Christ's life but when he came to the point where he had to choose between right and wrong, he was presented with the wrong. He was tempted by the wrong. He was pulled by the wrong. But he never gave in to the wrong. But he still had to go through the same process to get there that we did. So what would that have been like? I mean, every single two-year-old, including Jesus, had to be corrected. But what's that like when you're correcting him and he made you? You think they ever forgot he was God? I can tell you, I think they did. I mean, when he's screaming. Like the babies and kids do, you know? And keeping you up all night. Or when he gets that little three-year-old smart mouth, my mom called it, you know? And you just want to... But they knew who he was. How did that affect the dynamics? I think there probably has never been a parent in all the history of the world that have more stress on their parenting than Mary and Joseph. They had other children as well. What were those dynamics like? Oh yeah, you always show favoritism to the one who's God. I mean, Jesus' brothers didn't like him. You read that, right? Now, James will become a Christian. We assume others of his family, you know, followed in after his resurrection. But yet, while he was on this earth, his brothers, I mean, they wanted him to go to Judea, even though in Judea, they wanted to kill him there. I mean, they have some sibling rivalry. How does that play in? That he's God. Can't even wrap our minds around it. And as I contemplated this this week, it caused me to think, what is so special? Because they must have been special. Mary and Joseph are unique in all the history of the world, and God sent the Savior, the only Savior, the only plan, without a fallback plan. If Jesus had failed, if he had sinned, then all of us would be without hope. And God entrusted the Messiah, God in the flesh, the Son of God, to one man and one woman. What 
kind of man and woman must they have been? You see, the task of raising the Son of God into the Savior fell to a poor, ordinary, unrenowned couple in the backwoods small town of Nazareth. And Mary and Joseph, they each teach us some valuable lessons as we examine these two people that God entrusted with perhaps the greatest responsibility that has ever been entrusted to a mortal in all the history of the world. Well, when it comes to Mary, we turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and following. And we know her story, but sometimes in, even in this holiday season, we just kind of read through it or think about it quickly. And we don't really examine the dynamics, the tensions of this narrative. Because it tells us now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth and to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying and considered what manner of greeting it was. Now, when we think about this and consider what it must have been for her, you've got to wrap your mind around this. We look at Bible times as different types of an environment than what we live in. Because, you know, I've never had an angel come and talk to me. I've never had God come and talk to me. I don't think I ever will. And neither have you or anybody, any of us have ever known. But let me be clear. Neither had Mary. Because of the fact that you read about God directly communicating or prophets having visions, you realize that most of those stories are hundreds, if not thousands of years, removed from each other. It was not a common experience by the Jews in ancient times that, hey, did you, you know, the Lord called me last night and we had, I had a vision and I'm supposed to, oh yeah, he called me too. Maybe he'll get us, put us on a conference prayer tomorrow. I mean, that didn't happen, right? These are, these are only for special people in special occasions to progress the plan of God. And so most Jews... In fact, 99.9.9% of them that ever lived never had that miraculous experience and didn't know anyone who had ever had that miraculous experience. It was just like us. Now, the angel appears to Mary. And it says, and she was troubled. That is, that is you know, very light language for what took place in her heart, isn't it? She was troubled. I, if I were to encounter an angel, if you were to encounter an angel, the Bible tells us, and this is what's really interesting, is Mary holds up to an encounter with an angel better than any other character in all the Bible. What do they usually do? You know, there's only two great Bible characters of which very little negative is ever said, and only one of which none, besides Jesus, and that's Daniel. There's not a negative word about Daniel in Scripture. Not one revelation of his sin. Now we know he had sin, but he was of such sterling character that there's nothing said. But, but you know when he sees an angel, you know what he does? Same thing, everybody else. Except Mary. 
that ever saw an angel in Scripture does. I mean, they're on their face, on the ground, trembling in fear. And the Bible says, Mary, she was troubled. This is an awesome girl of incredible faith that she sees an angel and she's a human being. It disturbs her. She's never seen one before. No one she knows has ever seen one before. But when grown men, some of whom would fight armies, some of whom would lead God's people to victory, when they encounter an angel of God, they fall to the dirt and wish they could be invisible. But when this 13 or 14 year old girl and that's the time of betrothal. We don't know for sure her age. But I'll tell you, if she waited to 16 at that period of time, she would have been an old maid by their standards. This 13 or 14-year-old girl sees an angel. And the angel says to her, verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold... You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And all of his kingdom will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel. How can this be since I do not know a man? have not known a man. Another thing that's very interesting is our reaction. Because this isn't exactly the same reaction that the great heroes of faith have had before. When God appears to them either in a burning bush or through an angel or through a voice from heaven, whatever it is, you know what their typical response is? And we're going to get to it a little later in the lesson. But the typical response is this. Uh, you got the wrong person. Isn't that right? I mean, time after time after time. Mary's, she doesn't do that. Isn't that amazing? 13 to 14 year old, a girl who's never had a husband. She's betrothed, but she doesn't have a husband. She's never been with a man. And so her question, rather than, I'm not, I can't do this. I'm not the right person. She says, but Lord, how can this be? I, I've not been with a man. How can I be pregnant? Do you see the contrast? This woman, girl, has incredible faith. She's simply a remarkable person. And then he continues on and says, the Holy Spirit, the angel answered her, verse 35, said the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who has been born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, is also conceiving in her old age. And this is about the seventh, sixth month for her who was called barren. For God sees, for with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed. 13, 14 years old, she's betrothed and carries the same commitment as marriage. In their society, the way that it worked is that once you were betrothed, a husband, to, in order to be betrothed, he had to pay his dowry to your father. 
And once you paid his dowry, then you were his. But there was a period of time which had to pass before the wedding ceremony, which was a week-long feast. And then after that, the marriage would be consummated. But it carried the same rule of law and commitment during the betrothal as it did during the marriage. We cannot make the mistake to connect or in some way kind of equalize our idea of being engaged and their idea of being betrothed. They're not the same thing. Because engagement can be broken off. In their society, betrothal had to be divorced. It was legally, culturally, and spiritually binding already. She already has a husband. That's why she doesn't say, I don't have a husband. She says, I've not been with a man. She says, I've not been with anyone before. So she is recognizing here that this is an issue. And what are the things going through her mind? You see, her life, this is the greatest news in the world. It's also the worst news in the world. If you're a betrothed girl at 13 or 14 years old in ancient Jewish society, this is, your life just got really hard. Because now she has to have a conversation. Several. She has to have a conversation with her husband. She has to have a conversation with her parents. And she has to have a lot of very difficult conversations in her community. But verse 38 says, she says, let it be so, I am the Lord's servant. She is a remarkable, remarkable woman. Then we turn to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And we learn a little bit about Joseph. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After, verse 18, after his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, just being just a man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly, to divorce her secretly. Now, can't you just imagine how that conversation went? Joseph, darling, I have something to tell you. And please, please, please listen and hear me out. It's going to be difficult to believe but I'm pregnant. Immediately, his eyebrows shoot up. You're what? I'm pregnant. But it's not what you think. It's not what you think. God did this. Can you imagine? I, I, I'm a, I feel certain. The Bible doesn't reveal it, but we've all lived long enough in this world to know how these conversations go. Who is he? Isn't that what Joseph is asking? Who is he? The Holy Spirit. Okay, do you not even have enough respect for me not to lie to me? Can't you just, at least you've already done this to me and broken my heart. Can't you at least have the dignity to tell me the truth? But she doesn't waver off the story. But the Bible tells us Joseph didn't believe her. How do we know? 
He's going to put her away. He believes she's been unfaithful to him. And now to save her own skin, she's lying to his face. And it's not even a very inventive lie. It's the most unbelievable thing. It's the most insane idea. In fact, what arrogance must he think she has that, oh, she hasn't been unfaithful. God did this. Oh, aren't you so special? We know how human relationships are. We know how this conversation went. But did you notice in those verses? By the way, under the Old Testament law of Moses, what was the penalty she was entitled to for adultery? Stone. It was death. And Joseph has had his heart broken out. Joseph feels he's been... He's been cheated on and now he feels he's been lied to and disrespected. She won't even tell him the truth. This girl who he thought was pure and righteous and good and loved him. None of those things are true in his mind right now. So don't you think he'd want to stone her? Don't you think he'd want to expose her? Embarrassed and humiliate her for what she's done to him? Of course he wanted to do that. But he wasn't going to. You know, the Jesus who forgave the woman who was caught in adultery, I wonder if he thought in that moment when he said, go and sin no more, your sins I'll remember no more. I wonder if he thought of his father Joseph. Probably the most forgiving man. A man filled with mercy even when his heart was broken and his world shattered. Why do you think it is that God wanted that man to raise the prince of mercy and of grace? Because even though he didn't believe her, and he believed now that she's not anything she said she was, he was still going to save her. Sounds like someone else, doesn't it? Another carpenter. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's quite the remarkable man. Well, of course, the angel comes to him as well. It says in verse 20, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary for your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people of their sins. Now, all of this was done that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So Joseph, verse 24, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Can't you just imagine the joy? How, you know, this night, it says it happens in the night. I'm sure this is the very night that she had told Joseph, don't you think? 
And what do you think she looked like when he went to her home after the angel appears to him? You think that there, she was a mess? Think she cried a little that night? He didn't believe her. Of course he didn't believe her. And imagine what that reunion must have been when he says, I'm so sorry, Mary. I, I just, I, how, would I, how could I imagine that would be true? You see, I don't know that there's another couple that's ever lived that could have went through all of that in faith and been responsible to raise the Son of God. When we look at these two people, what's the message for us? I think there's two very brief, but very, very important messages. Number one, and this is important that you realize, God calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, you'll remember when Moses was called, and nobody felt more ordinary than Moses. It says that Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, and the blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with you with your mouth and teach you what you need to say. But he said, Oh Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. And this is just kind of the beginning of a long pattern in the Old Testament. Because God doesn't use superheroes to accomplish His will. He's always used shepherds and fishermen He's always used carpenters, laborers. He can part the sea with an old staff. God uses the ordinary to do extraordinary things. And if we learn anything from Mary and Joseph, a 14-year-old girl, a probably mid-20s-year-old young man, who grew up in a backwoods part of the world, who would never be educated and would never have very much in this life or their name even be known if it weren't for their son. But God teaches us that ordinary people can do extraordinary things. And number two, God gives ordinary people the courage they need to do His will. They were afraid God understands fear. Every servant of God that has ever accomplished His will started out afraid that they weren't good enough. That they didn't have it. That somebody else would be a better choice. Every single one. From Moses to David to Gideon. Every single one. So when you feel inadequate, that's just the normal emotion for people that God uses. God uses extraordinary people to do extraordinary things. 
And God can give us the strength even when we're afraid. Well, this holiday season, of course, we want to focus our hearts and minds on Jesus. But it might be that you give a thought or two to Mary and Joseph because we do owe them a debt, do we not? Because who else could have raised a son like that? This morning, if you want to, as we're closing out 2019, if you want to refocus your heart and your mind upon being a person that is open to God working in your life, overcoming the fear that you're inadequate, don't delay. A new year is coming right around the corner, and new opportunities. For those who will believe God can do something good in my life and it will know I'll never feel like I'm up to it or worthy or valuable enough, whatever it is, but that God will give me the strength. If you need to come this morning, come right now as we stand and as we sing.